not just despite Derrick Henry. It's the one seed despite all the injuries. Julio Jones being a complete non-factor. A.J. Brown being a Welcome in to the Titans 10 for Thursday, January the 6th. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, a broadcaster and writer with Broadway Sports Media and the 440 Podcast Network. Welcome to 2022. I hope that you had an awesome Christmas and New Year's. I know we, we spoke a little bit in between Christmas and New Year's, but then went on a little bit of a, the show did, a little bit of a holiday hiatus, but we are back now just in time for week 18 and the Titans playoff run today in our return to action for 2022. We've got a great guest, Luke Warsham. He covers the Titans with A to Z Sports, our friends over there at A to Z. He is a beat writer for them. He's in all of the media pools at the games, talking to players and coaches. He's a great guy to talk to. Um, really nice meeting him and speaking to him uh, a little bit about the Titans Today, I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. We cover a lot of really interesting topics. Uh, we talk about we talk about the the coach of the year conversation. We talk about the Titans' situation as the potential one seed, how they got here, how impressive that's been. We cover a lot. I think you're really really going to enjoy it. Um, before we get to that interview, just a quick reminder: first of the new year, if you are not already subscribed to the show, please do that. Uh, leave a rate and review, and uh, listen, we're looking for feedback. I'm desperate for your feedback. Please, let me know what you think of the show. If you love it, you hate it, I don't care. Just make sure it's a five-star review, Apple or Spotify. Spotify's letting you do it now, too. Leave a review, leave a five-star rating, say whatever you want. I, I might just shout you out on the show. I'm waiting to collect a couple of them, and I'm going to give shout-outs on the show. So leave a review, leave a rating, and make sure you're subscribed, because we're going to have a lot of Titans 10 content coming up down the next month or so for the Titans. All right, enough of my rambling. Let's get to our guest, Luke Worsham. All right, let's welcome in to the Titans 10, Luke Worsham. He covers the Titans for A to Z Sports, and he's the co-host of the No Nonsense podcast. Luke, how's it going today, man? Going very well, very well. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for joining us. We're going to talk just about the Titans this week. Um, be a little bit all over the board, maybe look a little bit ahead to the playoffs as the final week of the season is upon us here. The Titans heading down to Houston to uh, redeem themselves. Uh, one of their three clunkers this season, really disappointing losses was to the Texans here in Nashville in that terrible weather. Were you at that game? Yeah. 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 So was I. And it was a, about as miserable as this past game was in terms of weather and certainly miserable in terms of really bad football and turnovers and all that. Um, the Titans I'm sure is I'm, I'm guessing the team probably has had this game circled regardless of circumstances as a bit of a redemption spot for them um, mm -hmm. in an, an important game. Now, obviously they are massive favorites, but this is a game that they have to get in order to secure that one seed, which is a, a crazy thing in and of itself. We'll get to a bit later, yeah. but in terms of this game, is there really anything of note uh, going into this game that concerns you? Really? The only big change is that they're seeing an entirely different quarterback. And I think for the Titans in terms of the way that their defense thrives, um, I actually think Tyrod's probably a, a, a worse matchup for them than than Davis Mills is going to be just because of 
that <clears throat> ability for them to get after guys that are standing back there in the pocket, which of course Davis Mills is more of a statue back there. Anything about this game that stands out to you? Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I, I think that uh, they really struggled with Terod Taylor with him moving the pocket. They they couldn't they didn't really get near him when he did that. Um, and you know when they played the Texans the first time, the Texans were one one and eight, I think. And so, like, now, you know, they've won three games since then. It's like, well, they have a little bit of life. That that wasn't the case. It was incredibly embarrassing for them when that happened the first time. But for, for me, what this game will come down to, and I wrote this this morning, it's turnovers. Because the first time the Titans played the Texans, they had five of them. Four interceptions from Tannehill, two of which were Des Fitzpatrick's fault, two of which I put on Tannehill. And then Chester Rogers muffed a punt. And if you want to add this to the fire, they also turned the ball over twice on downs. So really, if you want to count the, the TODs, Titans had seven turnovers against the Texans. It's not hard to figure out why they lost that game. I was going back and reading what Mike Vrabel said after the game, and, and he nailed it. He said, I don't care how good you are. I don't care what the talent disparity is. If you turn the ball over five times, you're losing 99.9% of the time in the NFL or mm. any level of football. And I think that's what it comes down to. The Titans are far superior to the the Texans in terms of roster, coaching, culture, everything. Uh, So if they can just keep the ball to themselves, I I think this is going to kind of be a cakewalk for them. But if they have another meltdown like that, which we've seen them have a few times this year, uh, then it could get dicey. Right. Yeah. I saw the article that you'd written this morning and the headline was, was something along the lines of this one statistic will mean uh, the difference for the game. And before I even clicked, I thought it's turnovers. And then of course it was Mm -hmm. turnovers. And that's something that I said, uh, I I tweeted about that. I think after their Pittsburgh loss, just saying, I'm convinced these final three regular season games, they will win every game in which they win the turnover battle and they will lose every game in which they lose the turnover battle. And so far that's been the case. Obviously that's kind of a duh thing um, from, from a football standpoint, the team that turns the ball over more tends to lose more often, but for this team in particular, their, their base level of play, I think the floor for them um, is a, a high enough floor to beat most teams, uh, especially these final three teams that they've had, yeah. not exactly murderers row of teams. As long as they just hold onto the ball, you know, that will, that will change in the playoffs. But of course, possessing the ball is even more important there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. They've, they've done a better job in terms of, in terms of holding onto the ball. And, and that's been, I think, a big difference, if not the difference in these last couple of games, um, having AJ Brown back, obviously a big part of that as well. Yeah. Eric Henry, a guy that is the, all the rage this week in uh, Titan circles, talking about him being designated to return as we expected he would be. And uh, today was his first day at practice. We saw the videos. He looked pretty good mm-hmm. to me. I know that you weren't able to be out there today. You might be yeah. able to be out there tomorrow uh, if the weather's not crazy, but it kind of yeah, looks that's, like that's not game. looking like a very good yeah. possibility. Right I don't now. love your odds on that. Um, but he in those in the videos we saw today, you know, limited media window for for seeing mm-hmm. into practice. But from what we saw, didn't look hampered to me. What about you? No, he looked fine. And and. and you know, I'm not an orthopedist and, and a lot of, uh, neither am I have, no. have been sort of masquerading as one ever right. since this Jones fracture happened. But I, I think what we have all come to learn from the real experts about a Jones fracture or any kind of bone issue is that it's not like a, 
soft tissue or a muscle injury. And, and I used this analogy on, on the No Nonsense podcast last night. It's like if you take a paper plate and you, you break it in half down the middle, and we're saying that's what's happened to Derrick Henry. Where he is now is not we've taken Elmer's glue and glued it back together, and now it's holding up, but there's still that ridge down the middle. We've gone and gotten an all-new paper plate, right? That's what has right. happened here. And right. so I, I, there's lots of people that's like, oh, he's he's favoring. Like I saw people like overanalyzing this video. And it's like he's, yeah. he's favoring. Like if he's out there, he's good. It's new. It, that's how bones work. That's how the human body was constructed. Bones heal all the way back. Right. And so. Right. Uh, and, that, and that's I, what I've gathered as well. Right. Is mm-hmm. that that it's it's an injury. Like you said, there's a certain you know, there's injury analytics now and the injury analytics, apparently based on a video that I saw today, 10 to 15 percent chance of re-injury with this with this kind of injury. And that obviously goes down the further away from the surgery. And, you know, he could technically be back to play this week, but I don't think anybody expects him uh, maybe even to dress for this game, considering there's not really a reason to, you know, and so he'll get another yeah. two, two and a half weeks uh, before he has to play. And it's like you said, one of those things where it's, it's all or nothing. He's not going to tweak it. It's not going to hamper him unless it refractures. Right. So it's either going to be good or there's the small chance that he breaks it again and you're back at square one. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of the case. But not to gloss over that too much. Anything uh, on your end? I know you're you're closely tied to the team, and and you're able to be at media availability for press conferences and and talk to coaches and players. Anything that you've seen, read, or heard this week that would indicate to you maybe he dresses on Sunday? I not really. I I tend to think what you were just saying is probably what's going to happen, which is this window was open for him to sort of get back in the flow of things more than anything else. I don't think they need him. It's a team, like I said, the Texans aren't very good. Foreman has done a good job of of filling in. And I will say this, because I feel like a lot of people have watched Foreman. And Foreman had a great game on Sunday, over 130 yards, five yards of carry. He's had a few of those for the Titans. Career day, yeah. And they're doing what, back when this first happened at the end of uh, October, what I said was what the Titans need without Henry is they can't be explosive anymore in terms of the run game but they can be efficient. And and that's what they're finally getting with Foreman and Hilliard is they're efficient, not explosive. They can take one more week of efficient, not explosive against the Texans. But then once you get to the playoffs and you're facing these really good teams, whether that's Cincinnati or or, or Buffalo or New England, you know, any of these teams they could end up facing, you want the explosiveness back because that's such a huge thing when the scores are going to be a lot closer and the competition is going to be really tight and everyone's fighting for their lives. But against the Texans, you can handle another week of Foreman. Yeah, Luke, I think that's a really great way of putting it. You know, I want to dive a little bit more for a moment into the running back situation, because like you said, um, there's there was a statistic floating around. It was very popular this week online about what the first eight games of the season for the Titans yeah. looked like in yeah. terms of running uh, with Derrick Henry carrying the load. And then what the running back by committee uh, committee has been able to do in these eight games since, and the numbers are incredibly similar uh, barring some touchdowns, but you know that I, I think you could probably tie that to some of that explosiveness. Um, but it's, it's interesting. A lot of people looked at that, that statistic and those two statistics rather, and took different things from it. One, one 
common thing from really non-Titans fans, um, kind of objective arbiters of, of that situation looked at that and said, oh, look, another another pelt on the wall for the running backs don't matter crowd. Um, and I think it's it's interesting. That's that's foolish, in my opinion. And here's why. Something that that Henry gives you that, first of all, isn't reflected there unless you think about it for more than two seconds is he's able to do that by himself. Right. Though, if you if you the the number of people in the league that are able to put up that amount of production carrying all of that load on their back solely is very low, if not a singular person. Right. And the other thing, like you said, is explosiveness. That doesn't account for those explosive plays. Um, And so it's interesting thinking about and if you have anything to add on that, you can you can mention. Well, I'll just say when, when I saw that stat, I, I want to say John Glennon was the first person I saw throw it out there. Uh-huh. It honestly shocked me as someone that's watched every game and, and written about every game. I'm like, really? Like they've been that productive and that right. efficient in the run game? And I think part of that is is slightly marred by uh, the New England game. Where I was they about had to say New England. Ridiculously high total in the run game, even though they lost because, again, right. another turnover meltdown. Um and, it, and you're right, it's leading people to sort of make the wrong conclusions here. I think that what you get with Henry is you get the explosive stuff. And and I have never seen a team like, like the Titans can with Henry go into a two-minute drill and start handing the ball off. Not rate, waving the white flag, but because Mike Vrabel knows that that's one of their best chances of getting a big play. And, right. and, and that's what Henry gives you. I, and, and look, the analytics stuff is clear that your efficiency with running the football uh, does not affect play action success. Here's what I'll say though. If I'm a linebacker, I'm biting up more if it's Derek Henry versus if it's Dontrell Hilliard. Yes. That's just how this works. Yes. I refuse to believe otherwise. I believe that if it's even like, you know, Brandon Staley, who's someone who who brought up this this stat. I believe if it's even like Austin Eckler, maybe there's a negligible difference. But if we're talking Derrick Henry versus Deontay Foreman, I'm sorry, there is a difference there for a linebacker in terms of approach to the play action. And, and also you can talk about the defense stacking the box and selling out. There, there's just so much. I mean, I remember the Chiefs game, which was Henry's last sort of full big game. Right. Kansas City played single high virtually the entire game. Um that's what the Titans are missing here. And, and people who are talking themselves out of Henry being important are kidding themselves. Well, they're not only kidding themselves. I think they may be in for a rude awakening here in the playoffs. We'll have to see, but um, speaking of the playoffs and the running game, I think this is an interesting thing that will be on a lot of people's radar will be written about a lot in the coming weeks. Um, But kind of looking ahead, I can, I can see this being an interesting topic um, because I'm not sure that we know the answer necessarily with Henry coming back. Foreman Mm -hmm. obviously has played incredibly well. And the situation before Henry was injured was Henry being the first, second uh, Mm -hmm. down back. And then you had McNichols on third down and they served very separate roles. Henry was carrying the load of that bell cow uh, service in terms of running the ball. Um, But with a guy Mm -hmm. like, with a guy like Deontay Foreman, you'd think that, there's going to be some kind of split there. And again, this is assuming this is assuming that they don't get Henry necessarily back. Well, not that they don't get him back in full, but they're maybe a bit hesitant to give him a hundred percent of the carries. Do you think that's something that 
they'll split. Do you think McNichols will continue to be that third down back and Foreman will just fade off into the background of the situation? I'm curious. I I think it's really interesting. There's a lot of different ways that could break down. It's a fair question. What I don't think is fair is all these fans I've seen who are like, can't wait for that Foreman Henry one, two punch. It's like, yes. Then this is what got me thinking about it. If you're a fan, you should want Derek Henry to get every touch. Yes. And and if, if I'm in charge of this, there is no one, two punch. It is a one, one punch. And and he wears number 22. If, if I was Todd Downing and, and Tony Dews, the running backs coach, I'm going back to the way it was, which is Derek Henry. And then you have to quote Jonathan Hutton, third end McNichols after That's that. Right. <laughs> but I think I don't, it's less about has he earned a spot? Cause Mike Vrabel doesn't give a rip about who earned what. He's trying to win football games, and he knows Derrick Henry gives him the best chance to well, do Well, he's that. earned a spot somewhere, right? But On the roster, certainly. Well, and not just on the roster. I mean, just in the league. Clearly, he's proven he can run the ball. Now, does that mean he'll be with the Titans? He's earned a spot with the Titans. Well, no, he's up against Derrick Henry, right? He'll probably go next season and, and be an effective running back somewhere else. I almost agree with you. I almost do. You say that there's no Henry one-two punch like the fans talk about. I think that there is one scenario in which it's a one-two punch, and that is they get a Chargers draw in the playoffs, and their run defense is so bad that the Titans literally run the ball 80 times yeah. that game, yeah. and that, they switch off how, back and that's forth. That's how Foreman's getting on that's the field. That's the Foreman-Henry one-two punch. Outside of yeah, that matchup, yeah. Foreman is not going to strategically get on the field if they have Henry out there. Absolutely. He will get on the field if Henry's tired or if they deem that you know Henry has had too much of a load and needs a rest. There is no, this is a Deontay Foreman situation. I like the guy who's done a good job, but we're talking about a Hall of Famer here. Right. All right, let's change gears a little bit. Still talking about the Titans, of course. I want to get your thoughts on Coach of the Year, which is uh, an award mm-hmm. that's been thrown around a lot here in Nashville lately because of the job that Coach Rabel has done with this team. It's been yeah. nothing short of incredible. Obviously, I think um, – Sports writers and broadcasters here in town are pretty unanimously on the Vrabel deserves the coach of the year award. And, you know, digging into that a little bit and also based on the way that Vegas clearly sees the situation, it's a three man race at this point. It's either Vrabel, LaFleur or Zach Taylor, who's going to get the award and the odds for the rest are far off. I just wanted to kind of dig into the case for all three guys, Mm -hmm. maybe make a distinction between who's been more impressive given their situation, given their players Um, with Vrabel, his, his case is pretty clear, right? He lost his, his running back. Who's a top five player in the NFL coming into this season. In my opinion, Mm -hmm. he lost him halfway point of the season. He broke the league record for the most players used on an active roster in a single season with a a game left to go. Right. Mm -hmm. He's six and one as an underdog this year. And His team is currently 11 and five division champions and one win away from being the AFC one seed. So that's Mm -hmm. a really strong case. Now the case for the other two guys with the Packers, there's a bit of an injury case to be made. They've had some injury problems up there. I don't think it's really been anything compared to what the Titans have dealt with, but they've had some really key players in and out of the lineup Um, with the Packers before. And I'm curious to know if you agree with me here. I think it's really it's contradictory that the MVP and the coach of the year can exist on the same team. Right. I think those two awards are are awards to guys who more or less carry their team and they Mm -hmm. can't coexist because either the coach carried their team or like 
If you have Aaron yeah. Rodgers on your team, who's the MVP of this season, clearly, can you be the coach of the year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will say this. I think what, what Matt LaFleur has done with Green Bay is underrated. I don't think he gets enough credit. I agree. We, we watched what that team was with Mike McCarthy, and it was very underwhelming. And he's gone 13-3, and three, like three years in a row. I now. think he's a really good coach. I just don't think yeah, he's the coach I, of the but, year. But your point is right. Like that, that team is what it is because of Aaron Rodgers. It is what it is because of Matt LaFleur too. But if you're picking between the two, it's Aaron Rodgers. And look, it, I, I'm not around the Packers every day like I am the Titans. I don't talk to Matt LaFleur like I do Mike Vrabel. I used to talk to Matt LaFleur when he was here. But right. um, yeah, I, I – I don't. I don't know. Let's move on to Zach Taylor because okay. I, I, I do think that I think his case is better. I think okay. I, personally, Vegas thinks that they all three have a case. Personally, I think he's the only other guy with a case, and and his is pretty simple. It's that going into this past off season, the Bengals, in a move that is pretty unprecedented, if I'm not mistaken, had to. The organization came out and said, "We're not firing this guy. He's our coach." Zach Taylor sticking around. There was a lot of discussion whether or not he was the guy. He's, in my opinion, maybe the most anonymous coach in the league. Um, he's yeah. just so bland. You don't ever hear about, I mean, he's very much in the background. Obviously, yeah. he's done a good job because he's taken this team from being last in their division last season to winning the division this year. A big mm-hmm. part of that clearly is their stud young quarterback and their stud very young wide receiver core that they've assembled up there rounding into form just in time this season, looking like maybe the most dangerous passing game in the league right now. Um, But Taylor obviously has had a hand to play in that, but his case really has nothing to do with injuries because they've been a very healthy team this year. It has nothing to do with, um, you know, their ability to win games as an underdog necessarily. Um, It's really just this team is a worst to first team in their division. And he was a guy that it was questioned whether or not he was the guy in the offseason. Here's my pushback on his case. And I I, then I want to hear your thoughts on him. Okay, He's a guy that. At the midpoint of this season. The Bengals were, I believe, five, either five and three or five and four on a skid just coming off of a loss to their division rival. The Browns got beat down uh, by mm-hmm. 20 plus points in that game going into their bye, And there was, I think, a, a large portion of the NFL media, NFL circles were still openly questioning. Is Zach Taylor the guy for this yeah. team with this talent? So can you go from a large plurality of, of NFL circles questioning if you're the guy and then two months later, you're the coach of the year. I'm not sure you can make that leap. I don't know. I feel like if Mike Vrabel hadn't had a track record of three years of success, we would have wanted him fired after the <laughs> the Jets game, perhaps. Um, yeah. You know, talking about both of these guys versus Vrabel, the case against them is a lot easier to, and not that the cases against them are necessarily legitimate, but the cases against them are a lot easier to state than the cases for them. But when I look at Mike Vrabel, and I have to answer the question of, of why would he be deserving of coaching of the year, which, by the way, I'm not going on the record as saying he deserves coach of the year until he beats the Texans. We, th- I think it's going to happen, but that's he fair. needs to beat the Texans. For no, me that's fair, that. and that's really the but, case against him, right? But, Those three but, ugly yeah. losses this year. Let's assume that happens and they get the one seed. It's the one seed, not just despite Derrick Henry. It's the one seed despite 
all the injuries. Julio Jones being a complete non-factor. A.J. Brown being out. Bud Dupree being out. This guy fields for like a month, would field a practice squad every month. They miraculously were competitive with the New England Patriots for three and a half quarters with no one other than the quarterback out there. And the Mike, with Mike Vrabel, it's just so simple. There, There's no... I mean, there's an identity of sorts to this team because they like run the ball and they rush the passer and sure they win. But it's really just as simple as, as he explained it after that 49ers game, they come in on Monday, they get the plan on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they go practice the plan. And on Sunday, they go execute the plan. Like it's that simple. There is no Aaron Rodgers is willing them to victory. There is no, oh, did you see that crazy play? There's some of that, right? There was the one A.J. Brown game against San Francisco, and for the first half of the season, there was Derrick Henry carrying yeah, two, them. Two games like, this year, the Seattle game and the San Fran game was a, a one, really a one-man show carrying them to victory. But other than that, it's been a very balanced team. And 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 it's because there there's no nonsense with this group. And, and nice. Mike Vrabel somehow, week after week, not only comes up with a plan that will win because it's more than just the strategy. It's the, he gets the players prepared and ready. And I hate it when people say Mike Vrabel's a leader of men, because that implies that he's giving them some kind of rousing pregame speech to, you know, that, that stuff's nonsense. Mike Vrabel is a leader in that he is a, in the same way that a good manager of an office or a good principal of a school is a leader. They're not standing on the desk yelling, getting people excited. By example. Managing human beings and putting them into positions to succeed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good, I think it's a really good point. So assuming they do beat the Texans, is he the coach of the year in your opinion? Yeah, he'll he'll have my vote for the pro football writers um, coach of the year if he, uh, if they beat the Texans. All right, well. I would love, I feel like we could go for an hour, but we are out of time. So we'll have to have you on again sometime, probably next Definitely. season. Um, it's been great talking to you again. He's Luke Warsham covers the Titans, A to Z sports. Go check him out. Has an article up today about this upcoming game. And then of course the no nonsense podcast, he co-hosts over there with A to Z as well. Check that out. Luke, thanks for joining the show. And uh, hopefully you can come back on again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. All press conference audio in this episode is courtesy of TennesseeTitans.com. A big thank you to them for making that available. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, follow me at Easton Freeze and the show at the Titans 10 to interact with me and keep up with any of our show updates. And finally, check out me and my very talented colleagues over at BroadwaySportsMedia.com for all things Tennessee sports. We've got great new content for you seven days a week. Until next time, I'm Easton Freeze. The Titans 10 is a Broadway sports media production.